Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. collection of messages uh, on the book of John, and uh, actually, before I do that, I just want to encourage you. Next week, we're going to three services. We've got uh, one of my favorite uh, people in the world is going to be here speaking for us. It's some, some of my overseers, so these are kind of like my bosses, will be uh, speaking here at Celebration Church. You don't want to miss it. I, I used to um, be afraid to announce guest speakers because nobody would show up. And, and then I realized what you do is you just make sure the people you invite are better than you and everybody comes. So, uh, so um, we, we've got... Um, We've got Bob and Kara Grimm going to be here next week, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And then the following week is Friend Sunday. Invite your friends out to that. Get them out here. They're going to have a good time. Uh, it's going to be a, a wonderful experience, and I, I promise you the gospel will be shared, and, and they will have a great opportunity to respond to the Lord. Um, but we've been in this collection of, of sermons about the book of John, and, uh, and, and John is a unique book. He's not like the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, they just give a synopsis of the life of Jesus. John has an agenda. So John is, John is somebody with uh, strings attached. He's, he's telling you the stories for a reason. And so John writes the book of John uh, very differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, John doesn't include any of the parables of Jesus. Instead, what he chooses to focus on is what he calls signs and I am statements. So Jesus says these statements, these seven statements, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. He says all these different statements, and John connects them to these, what we call the seven signs of the book of John. Now, what's really cool is the book of John doesn't use the word miracles. It's used one time in the book of John, but it's used as a pejorative. It's used as kind of a blaming people for seeking a miracle. And it doesn't mean that John does not believe in miracles. John is certainly describing the miracles of Jesus. Anybody know you, you're in a church that believes in the miracle-working power of Jesus? We believe that when we pray, heaven hears. We believe heaven answers. We believe God, what he did then, he can do today. We don't believe he stopped. We believe he is still in action. But John is making a distinction. He's saying this, don't chase the ooh and the awe of a miracle. Instead, understand the principle and the meaning behind a sign. He's saying, look to the one behind the prayer. He's saying, look to the one behind the answered prayer. Look to the one behind the miracle that's revealed. And so that's what we're talking about is these, these signs that Jesus presents us with. Um, today we're on the sixth sign, and I'm going to begin by just sharing some pictures from Israel because, uh, number one, when I do that, I feel like it kind of brings you into the message, like you get to see what's going on. Number two, it makes me going to Israel tax-free. So, <clears throat> so here we go. 
So uh, this, this miracle is going to be in a place called the Pool of Siloam. Now, this is, again, one of those situations where for years, uh, anti-belief scholars, so people that study the scriptures with the agenda to disprove the scriptures, for years they said that this miracle never happened because there is no identifiable location called the Pool of Siloam. It's supposed to be on the south end uh, of the city of Jerusalem, near the south gate, uh, kind of in the city of David, but no archaeologist had found it. And um, wouldn't you believe it that about 10 years ago, archaeologists were digging in someone's, right next to someone's backyard, and they discovered the historical site, not the... Um, uh, the traditional, when they say the traditional site, they mean uh, we don't really know what happened here. But this is the historical site of the Pool of Siloam as seen in Scripture. And uh, what's really interesting is this pool is the only freshwater or moving water fed pool in the entire city. Um, back when Hezekiah was king, Hezekiah was being, um, he, he, he had enemy f forces opposing him. And the scripture tells us the story about how he, they dug a tunnel underneath the old city from the pool of Gihon out into the city so that they could have fresh water, so that if they were surrounded by an enemy army, they wouldn't run out of water. And the scripture tells us that as these men dug this, this uh, tunnel, they ended up ending axe point to axe point. That's how they discovered each other. And um, if you go to the city, when you come with me to the city, um, what you're going to see is this is uh, going down into the tunnel. You can see it's pretty narrow. Go to the next picture. Not only is it narrow, it's very low. And, um, and, and in this picture, I don't know if you can see it or not, but my shoulders are stopping me. I can't go. So it is as wide as my shoulders, and I'm down about this high. It's about this long, and it's probably... Um, about a quarter mile to half a mile long. It's a long tunnel, and it's rushing or moving water that's about shin deep the entire time. Uh, can't see anything. We were using the lights from our phones to be able to look ahead of us as we came through it. And when you walk through this tunnel, it's just amazing. This is the same uh, 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 aquifer or same source of water that when David took the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says that he climbed through what they call the waterworks. He climbed the waterworks to get into the city to take it from the Gibeonites. And, uh, and we actually travel, to go down this tunnel, you travel down through the cistern of where David climbed to be able to take the city. But this, this underground tunnel they created, it leads to a pool. And so when you come out on the other end of the tunnel... This is what it looks like. There's this, this little pool with some, some rocks, and, and that's fine. But on the other side of the staircase is where this water from the gate leads, and that is, do we have the next picture? There we go. This right here is the actual pool of Siloam. Um, you'll notice that the, the one side of it is covered in bushes, and that's because it's still private land. Um, the, the archaeology in the Middle East is really interesting because they, they're navigating public land, private land. They're na navigating all sorts of crazy things. But this is the location. So when I tell this story and I tell you what happened, this is the physical place that it happened. Pretty cool for all my Bible nerds. The Bible says this. It says, <clears throat> as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. This man was blind his entire life. Uh, this was a person who could not see. He, he did not have 
vision. And, and understand, when we're talking about Scripture, we're talking about a literal understanding. This man is literally blind, but also understand there is a spiritual application here. And the spiritual application is that sometimes people are spiritually blind. Uh, I think this passage tells us that getting older doesn't necessarily improve your sight. In fact, when you get older, you might just have to go see the optometrist. I would, I would pose today that maybe age doesn't always equal wisdom. I think often it does when we go to the fountains of wisdom. But life experience does not necessarily mean someone has vision. Education does not always mean wisdom. You can have more degrees on your wall than the thermometer but it doesn't necessarily mean you know how to apply those bits of information. And so this man was born blind. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This man was blind. But what's going on here is it's not just a simple issue. Maybe that you could just correct a stigmatism or there's a corneal scar that needs to be addressed. Or maybe he needs to remove a cataract. This man was born blind. This is the only account of a miracle of this magnitude in Scripture where a man was born with... There's other people Jesus heals that are blind. It's, it's a frequent occurrence. But those people had the gift of sight previously. This man has never seen anything in his entire life. And what's so crazy about this is it's actually impossible like it's completely impossible for this man to see because the synapses between your his brain and his optical or his optical nerve and his brain they in his visual visual cortex they they don't exist like the synapses that make sight possible have not developed for this man so you don't, you don't like grow these things throughout the course of your life. What happens is, as a baby, you are born blind. Did you know that? Your baby was born essentially blind. Uh, like, like legally, your baby would be blind. And what happens is, over the course of the first few days and weeks and months of their life, up until about eight months old, your child is responding to light and shadows and, and, and little things. And, and as it's getting input, it's getting data into those little gray eyes. Does anybody remember your baby had gray eyes when they were born? The, mine's the only one. Come on. They, they, have, they have gray eyes. It's the weirdest thing to me. And then, then it changes to their color. And I always hope they just stay gray. Like, that's cool. But... But they, their eyes, as they're getting stimulus, their eyes are creating synapses to be able to make, um, make an understanding of the information they're seeing. So, so this, this man, he was born blind, which means the actual synapses between his eye and his visual cortex don't exist. Like if you were to take a baby and put a blindfold over one of their eyes when they were born and remove it four months later, that baby will be blind in one eye for the rest of its life. 
This isn't, this isn't something an optometrist would say is reversible. It is irreversible. The window of help is gone. The window of opportunity is long since passed for this man. I want you to know that you serve the kind of God that doesn't care about windows of opportunity. You serve the kind of God that does not need a science to tell him when he can or cannot improve someone's sight. He can go in and make a difference when he chooses to. This is like Jessica so eloquently said, like Abraham and Isaac were beyond the years of childbirth and God gives them a child. I just want to say, maybe today you, you feel like you missed your opportunity with life. Like maybe you feel like you're just a few years beyond your prime and now you wonder if you'll ever be able to regain your opportunity again. Maybe your last marriage ended in divorce and you feel as though you can't love again or maybe you can't trust again. Maybe you feel as though you missed your window of opportunity because when you were younger, you had a lack of wisdom and you, you repeated a lot of silly mistakes. Looking back, you recognize they were just simple mistakes, but you also understand that the consequences of those mistakes have limited your opportunities in life. Maybe you are sexually broken because your time of innocence ended abruptly and you're struggling just to know what healthy even looks like. And so you feel as though the window of opportunity is gone. Can I tell you today that when Jesus gets involved, it's never too little, it's never too late. When Jesus gets involved in your marriage, it's never too little. It's never too late. When Jesus gets involved in the way you manage your money, it's never too little. It's never too late. When Jesus gets involved in the vision for your life, it's never too little. It's never too late. What I love about this man, though, is that even though his life was dark, even though he couldn't see, he still keeps growing. He just keeps on getting older. He just keeps on moving through life. I, I just don't know about you, but I love the kind of person that is willing to fight, that's just willing to struggle. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I, it's great. People that come to church that have no problems, they come in clean, looking nice all the time, but just give me somebody that gives their life to Jesus and they come back the next week, black and blue, bruised up, scratched up elbows, just dragging through the door. Addiction's been chasing them all week, but they fought all week long. Like I'm just, I like somebody that'll grow in the dark. Somebody that rises in the dark. And that's what we see in this man. I just wonder if, if there's anyone here today, and it sounds like you, someone that maybe you feel like you're beyond your season. Maybe you feel like you've missed your moment. Maybe you feel like it's just been dark and you've just been growing in the dark. I'm talking to you. I came with a word from God for you today. Because you don't have to keep using your own efforts and your own, agenda, your own agenda and trying to do it on your own. The Lord wants to free you through the power of his Holy Spirit and transform your life. 
And Jesus' disciples are just men with great wisdom. They, they say this in verse 2. This is sarcasm, not great wisdom. They say, Rabbi, which means teacher. They say, who sinned, <laughs> this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Like, isn't that the way we are? We see someone hurting, and we want to know why. <laughs> we, see, we see someone struggling on the side of the road. Like, why? Because I want to know, do they deserve it or not? Because I'd, I'd really love to just say they deserve it. That's what they're doing. What's going on is their theology is being revealed. Their theology that you get what you deserve is being revealed. And Jesus, earlier in John, talks about a man. He says, go and sin no more so that nothing worse will happen to you. But what we understand is it was an infirmity. It was some physical thing that had happened to him later in life because of an accident or incident. So we don't know why that happened. But the disciples are assuming that someone that was born this way somehow deserves it. They assume there's a correlation between his sin and his struggle. I just want you to know today that, that there's, there is a correlation between struggle and life. Like if you have breath in your lungs, you got struggle. It's not because your parents sinned that you got struggle. It's because you have breath in your lungs. You have blood in your veins. That's why you struggle. Because life is hard. And the problem is that they, they ask this question because we often view ourselves this way, don't we? We feel as though we deserve whatever happens to us. It's, it's because of the thing I did five years ago that this is happening now. Your kids lose their mind and you're like, I deserve this. <laughs> Bible says you reap, you reap what you sow. I just, like, I was crazy. Like, no, 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 no. Like, we got people walking around thinking that, that somehow the, the justice of God is revealed on them years later because of a decision you made a long time ago. Like, because of some decision you made in 1989. And that's why COVID happened. It's like, no, it's life. This is what Jesus is, he's, he's, he's showing them something different than this theology that you get what you deserve. The Bible says that the rain pours on the just and on the unjust alike. All of us experience the goodness of God and all of us experience the, the struggle of life. But we have this habit of explaining to ourselves why events happened. Our, our mind starts running wild when my, my wife one night, she was, uh, she was late getting home. She was, uh, it was probably by late. I mean, she was going to be home to tuck the kids into bed, and she got home at 9. Our kids go to bed at 8.30. Any parents got their bed, kids in bed? Get your kids in bed. You need time with your spouse with no kids awake. I was going to say alive. She got, home, she got home a little late, and, and my, my youngest, he was like, something's, something's wrong. Mom's not here yet. She didn't ever do this. And, and, uh, and I'm like, no, she said she'll be here. And he's like, no, something's wrong. And when she came in the door, what we didn't realize is Hudson had been awake the whole, the whole time. He, he stayed awake. It was probably a little later, about 10 o'clock. He, he comes out of his room, and he's sobbing. And he said, I thought something happened to you. He said, Mom, I thought you got in a car accident. And I thought, like, I thought I lost you. 
Because there's something inside of us that has to make an explanation for every incident in life, isn't there? We do the same thing. We, we, our mind goes wild. Your, your spouse is, is just a couple minutes late to call you or whatever, and you're wondering, like, are they all finding another love? Like, we, we, right? like we have all these, these worries that go on inside of our, of our minds, and I'm just saying it's, it's not a healthy thing to come to these crazy explanations in our mind. Because we serve the kind of God that even in the middle of our struggles, he's not asking why you deserve it. He's asking what's the purpose behind it. Yes, you experienced trauma. Yes, you made mistakes. But God will upcycle your mistakes to bless other people. This is the kind of God we serve. I just want to say this. For me, when it comes to making snap judgments. When it comes to trying to explain all my problems, I have some work to do. I got work to do. Anybody else got work to do? And Jesus answers them, and he says this, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. They asked, who was it? He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, if you look in the King James Version, it says this, it says, uh, it says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And what I want to point out is this, this happened is not in the original text. It does not say this happened so that the works of God would be exp- expressed in him. It doesn't say that. It says, but the works of God might be displayed in him. I'm just saying, like, Jesus, Jesus isn't saying, he's not saying this is God's fault. That's not what Jesus is doing. That's what we do, right? It's God's fault that my, my child is struggling. It's God's fault that my, my, my situation went bad. It's God's fault that I lost my spouse. God decided to take him early. And, and I just want to say, it's not necessarily God's fault. I know I'm... I'm Stepping on some theological toes. I'm just saying it's, it's not necessarily God's fault. We place the blame, but Jesus shifts us from a focus of blame. Because Here's the deal. In Greek, there isn't punctuation. In Koine Greek, which this is written in, there's not punctuation. So let me, read the, let me read it the way it flows without stuff the interpreters have included. Because the interpreters have included, this happened because... because of God, this is why it happened. This is what the interpreter, without the word that is not in the text, it says this. It says, it says, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's no punctuation. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. What's going on? He's telling them that the real response here isn't why. It's who's going to make a difference. He says, so the works of God can be displayed. We got to work. 
Uh, we can sit here and we can argue all day long about what went right and what went wrong in Ukraine. But so that the works of God can be revealed, we have work to do. We can struggle about why some parents are doing this and some parents are doing that. But there are foster kids that are in bad situations around our valley. And so that the works of God can be displayed, we have work to do. I'm saying you've got loved ones that are still struggling with addiction, still struggling in their marriages in this nasty cycle. And you can sit there and say, yeah, it's her fault and it's his fault and this and that. And we can find all the blame we want. But so that the works of Christ can be revealed, we have work to do, church. He says we have work to do. Notice this. Jesus doesn't say I have work to do. It's plural. We got work to do. He says, it's daytime right now, but night is coming. We've just got a window. He says, your window of opportunity, it's not based on their mistake. The window of opportunity wasn't when this man was an infant. The window of opportunity is when a believer steps on the scene. The window of opportunity for transformation in your family begins when you say, we got work to do. The window of opportunity happens in your workplace when you say, we've got work to do. The window of opportunity in a nation that's divided is when people say, we got work to do. We got work to do. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. It says, there's a time for everything. There's a season and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time for everything, and we understand that, but I'm going to switch to a different translation. This is New King James. It says it this way, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. I'm saying God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life, and there's a time frame for your plan. I'm saying God has a, has a purpose for your marriage. He wants to leverage it for his glory and there's time. Because there's day right now, but it's not always going to be day. You're not always going to be able to do the things you can do now. Jesus says this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so right there, what we do is we say, oh, so it's just Jesus' responsibility to make a difference in people's life. No, before Jesus left, he said, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill which cannot be hid. He's, he's demonstrating, I'm the light of the world, now you're the light of the world, and we got work to do. He says this in verse 6, having said these things, this is so nasty, Anybody see the video of the, the guy spitting in the other guy's face? I need a volunteer. <laughs> so gross. So gross. Don't even search it. Don't do it. Not worth it. There are sounds that can't be unheard. But it says this. It says, having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. You see, Jesus could have commanded this guy's eyes to be healed. He could have spoken it. He could have laid his hands on him and the man's eyes would come open. But for some reason, Jesus 
introduces this guy to a process that is quite unpleasant. Jesus, Jesus had work to do. Jesus could have just been like, I want to demonstrate how this works abracadabra, and he doesn't. He demonstrates that sometimes it takes a little bit of you and sometimes it takes a little bit of dirt. Some, sometimes it just takes a little bit of elbow grease, just a little bit of getting in there. Like, like I've heard it said this way, like if it's just hard work, we can do that. Like, like that's a good model for your family to raise your kids with, am I right? Like if it's just hard work, we, we got this. We can do, I'm just saying, so Jesus, he presents this guy with this, this nasty blessing. Anybody ever had a nasty blessing from the Lord? It was a blessing. It just wasn't what you wanted. God's method may not be the method that you've chosen. Because we have in our eyes the way God is going to reveal himself in our situations this situation, Jesus doesn't ask the guy for consultation on how he would like his sight to be given back. Sometimes, sometimes God's ways go against our choice, our great intention, our great understanding of our situation, don't they? Right? Like maybe God does work in your life, but it's not through the person you would have wanted him to work through, or maybe not in the way you would want him to work through, or maybe not as comfortable as you would have wanted him to do, maybe not as classy as you would have wanted him, not as dignified as you would have wanted him to be in your life, or maybe they talked about you, and it was through them talking about you that God developed something inside of you you didn't have before. I just think that when, when you are someone that's been blind since birth, there's this thing inside of you that says, I just want change. Not I want change on my terms. I, I want to do it my way. But I, God, whatever you have for me, whatever that looks like, I want it. God, God, I've been doing it my own way. I've been struggling my own way. And the truth is I'm still in darkness Whatever you want, like, God, go for it. Let's go. Do whatever uncomfortable thing you want to do in my life so that I can have vision and sight in my life. Do whatever it takes. And, and Jesus says to this man, he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Jesus sent a blind man somewhere else for his miracle. That, that, doesn't, make, that, that doesn't make sense. He's blind, he rubs dirt in his face and sends him somewhere else. Causing a blind man to now stumble towards a pool called Siloam, which is way down at the bottom of the city, down a long staircase. Like, he's telling the blind man, you're going to have to go on a journey to be able to experience what I want for you. Yeah. Can I tell you that in the very act of giving him a destination, he is giving a man who has had no purpose in his life something greater than physical sight. 
Like in the very search for a destination, meaning is being developed inside of something. Like it's in the journey towards something that the real purpose and value of the something happens. And so Jesus, yes, he's healing the man physically, but he's sending him to a place that is called sent. He's sending this man to a place where on the journey, he's getting some purpose. He's getting meaning with, with every rock he bumps into, with every person he stumbles across, he's gaining meaning because those obstacles are obstacles to his destination. But when he gets to his destination, there's a thing that happens to him, and it's this. He washes in a pool called scent. Because Jesus' purpose for your life is not just to give you physical healing. Jesus' purpose for your life is to give you purpose and meaning and send you like he, he doesn't want to just heal the guy's physical eyes at the exact same time as he's healing his physical eyes. He's revealing to him purpose in life. He's giving him the understanding that he is sent. I think so, so many of us, we get frustrated because we don't immediately see the work of God in our life. We come to church, we pray for God to do a thing in our life, and God usually gives us a next step. You know that, right? Like the promises of God come with the process of God, or the promises of God come with the principles of God. God, I want you to bless me financially. God's like, great. Be generous, spend less than you make. No, God, that's not what I want. I want blessing. And God's like, I just gave you a principle. You will be blessed if you follow the principle. Like, God, would you, would you bless my relationships? I just need more relationships. God, would you put friends in my life? And God says, I got a principle. He who is found friendly finds friends. No, God, I, I, I don't want to put myself out there to make friends. I want them to walk across the room to me. But when it comes to vision, we often think things like this. We think, when we're talking about God giving somebody a sense of ambition or vision or being sent, he means something big. Like, he wants me to reach the city for Jesus, and he does. He wants me to preach to millions of people. He may, he, maybe he does. And, and often I kind of question whether or not somebody's accurately reading the vision of God for their life when they say stuff like that. It's when someone comes to me and they say, I feel like, like God wants me to be a better husband. Because I think that may be some real vision in your life. I, I feel like God is asking me to get my anger under control so that I don't put my fits of rage into my kids' minds. That might be vision for your life. I, I, I feel as though God is, God is calling me to get beyond my insecurity and stand up as, a, as, as a, a, a woman business owner. I'm just saying it just very well could be God's vision for your life includes simple things that we often write off because we don't think it's spiritual enough. I know I'm not getting any amens, but this is really good.
Because, because he's giving this guy vision. And you say, well, come on, this, is where the, this isn't where the story ends. I'm not going to finish all of it. But the guy actually goes and he witnesses the power of Jesus to four different categories of people. He tells his neighbors that Jesus healed him. He tells the, the Pharisees that Jesus is a prophet and Jesus healed him. He tells his parents that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus healed him. He tells the Pharisees again that Jesus is God and that Jesus healed him and then invites them to become disciples of Jesus. I'm just saying that when Jesus does a work in your life, it's not a surface level work. He's actually got a greater purpose in your life and that's to give you great vision, not just eyes that see, but a heart that sees, a mind that sees, a spirit that recognizes what the spirit is saying. I'm telling somebody today that the greatest need in the American church isn't signs and wonders. The greatest need in the American church is that men and women would stand up out of their place of comfortable and that they would have a Holy Spirit mandate on their life that men and women under the sound of my voice would recognize that God has sent you. God didn't just do a work in your life. He sent you. He gave you a direction. He gave you an ambition. And if men and women would stand up and move forward into the gift and calling that God has for their life, what would happen? I'm just, I'm a preacher, I preach. Doctors dock, drivers drive, preachers preach. I'm just saying God's purpose for this man is not just to heal his eyes, the sight coming into the guy's eyes is actually not the sign towards Jesus. The sign towards Jesus is when the guy receives sight, he becomes the sign. I'm saying God doing a work in your health may not actually be the end goal here. God may want you to leverage your story of your health to point towards him. Like God doing a work inside your marriage may not be the actual point. It may be that God wants you to leverage the story of your marriage to give other people hope. It may be that your bankruptcy, like God getting you out, giving you the courage to stand back up after a bankruptcy and, and, and move forward. Like it may not be that that is the actual issue. The real point may be that your life story becomes a guidepost, a sign towards a risen savior. Would you stand with me all across the room? The scripture says this. It says, without vision, the people perish. Or they cast off restraint. And I think there are so many believers in the American church. Our greatest our greatest shortcoming is not faith in God. We, we love the Lord. We believe. We trust him. I think our greatest shortcoming is we don't allow his vision into our lives. And we think it's the job of the people on the platform to do the work of God. It's not. My biblical job description is to show you to do the work of God. And vision goes beyond where you are right now. 
You know, I think a lot of people, even when it comes to marriage, I think, I think there are a lot of circumstances, but I think a lot of the times it boils down to just a lack of vision for what your marriage could be. My wife and I, we don't have it all figured out and we struggle just like everybody else. We have our ups and our downs, but we have a vision. Let me show you our vision. That's the old me getting smooches. When this app came out, this is the best thing that ever happened to your marriage, is this app right here. If you're a young couple, best thing that ever happened to your marriage. The profile on our bank accounts, I'll show it to you, watch this. Go to the next one. Look at that. She's gonna still dye her hair. 80 years old, she's gonna dye her hair, I can tell right now. It's gonna, it's still gonna be blonde. But she's gonna, because I'm not in love with some young woman whose body looks like a young woman's body, whose mind is like some ambitious, I'm in love with it. Like, go to the next one. This, this one is the, like, this is literally, like when you go to our bank account, our personal bank accounts, this is literally the profile picture because we want to make our financial decisions based on what that woman would want. My wife's like, I can't believe you show this picture. Because here's the deal. My, like our vision for our marriage is not to be happy. It's not, it's not to have lots of things. Our vision for our marriage is this. I'm going to be 85 years old, sitting next to an 82-year-old woman, sitting on a rocking swing in the front porch, drinking iced cold tea with not a tooth in my mouth. She says, I'm getting my teeth. You can keep your teeth. I'm not having teeth. But what's going on is we're saying our vision for our marriage is not to have a house that compares with our neighbor. Our vision for our marriage is that we're going to the end. What would happen if we got a hold of vision in our life? God's ambition for our lives. I don't really know how to end this one. I think this, maybe, maybe for you, I'm gonna do kind of two calls here. I'm gonna start with, if you're looking, if you feel as though you need God to open your eyes to how you are sent, to where you are sent, to vision. I just want you to maybe raise your hand and I'll just pray for you right here, right where you're at. Is anybody looking for God to reveal inside of them vision? Come on, I see that, good. Good, I see that, come on, some direction. Some direction from the Lord. Yeah, I see you. Come on. Yeah, I see that. Let's pray right now. God, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we don't stand on our own. We don't, we don't lean into another, but you are the author. God, I pray right now that you would infuse your vision, your direction, your purpose into our lives. God, I pray for a man or woman right now that's wondering what their next step might be. Lord, that you'd show them direction. And that as they move towards that direction, they would find meaning and purpose. Maybe just stay kind of in the posture you're in right now, sort of spiritually holding this. Maybe for you, you feel like you are blind. 
without God moving forward and you just need a touch from heaven, if that's you, would you raise your hand for me right now? Come on. I see some bold hands. I'm just wandering. I'm struggling. I'm stumbling. I'm doing it on my own. And I want to be freed from doing it on my own. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent and we're going to believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, and say that don't please God. And we're going to believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do that, when we place all of our faith and hope in him, he cleanses us from sin. And he pulls us into a conversation, a relationship with God. Would you pray with me something like this? God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm sorry for trying to figure this out on my own. Would you forgive me? I'm turning away from that right now. I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. Right now, placing all of my faith and hope in him alone. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's some people who just made the greatest decision of their life. Greatest decision of your life. We're excited about that. Listen, in just a moment, we're going to have some child dedications. We're going to sing one song, child dedications. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.